The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, the important thing to realize is that because highs and lows inevitably are going to happen throughout your life with type 1 diabetes, you should not let it ruin that hour of the day, ruin that day, ruin that week, ruin that month. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Insulon Podcast. This is a big one. This is episode 52, one year of podcasting. Graham, can you believe it? It doesn't seem, well, I was going to say it doesn't seem like a year since we met for a coffee in Costa Coffee in Carrick Mines, if anybody around Ireland know, knows where that is. But it was more than that because we released the first podcast, then we had a few weeks of planning, then we recorded six in a couple of weeks and we said we were going to start releasing them in March. But you were like, nah, let's just do it now. Let's just get it out there now. <laughs> well, we did it in well, mid-February. And can you believe it? 52 weeks, one full year of the Insulone podcast. Yeah, mad. And I was only thinking about the conversation that we were having in the coffee shop this morning about how it wasn't even my idea to do the podcast. Because remember, I I had been in New York for two years and I came home, but me and Graham kept the flame of our friendship alive while I was away. So we met up for a coffee. I think you were just like asking about diabetes or something. I'd like, oh, how did you get on or something? We met up in... Like we, we we were loving our coffee chains around this time because we met up in Starbucks <laughs> yeah. in Still Oregon, and we were just sitting there catching up. And you were just telling me all about diabetes and all about the people online you were training, and just something inside me clicked because I also wanted to do a podcast on a completely different topic to what I'm used to doing on the radio and kind of comedy, and I wanted to do something completely different and co-produce it. And I was like, "This is it." Owen has the knowledge. He has the passion for it. And then when I pitched it to you in Costa a couple of weeks later, you were like, yeah, let's do it. What do we need to do? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, unreal. Now, we weren't anticipating the global pandemic that was going to hit us in just a few weeks. And now we've adapted because we used to go into Spin 1038 where I work in the recording studio there at the weekend. Mm. Uh, and now we've adapted to getting our own home kit, 
think of it think about this time last year that we have our own microphones you've got your own desk set up there as well recording natively is what they call it and uh, we still managed to continue to do all the episodes yeah strange like i suppose be- before you had even suggested that in our conversation i don't think i'd ever even thought about doing a podcast because i was like really focused on kind of continuing training people and stuff online but then when you announced it i was like yeah makes sense let's do it 100 percent." i do think you would have though because it seems like 50 percent of the world's population created a podcast in 2020 during lockdown (laughs) yeah sales of microphones went through the roof as well usb microphones you could just plug into your laptop and just start recording so maybe it would have happened maybe i just got to you a little bit sooner than it naturally would have came to you but in this week's episode I'm not going to lie, I am a little bit nervous because you are putting me, a non-diabetic's knowledge of diabetes to the test based off the last 51 episodes that we've done that I would have listened to every single episode because if I'm honest, I'm obviously in it. And if I'm not honest and as a guest, I'm listening to it back, editing it and uploading it. I will tell you, I haven't studied for something in so long. I haven't, I haven't done anything study-wise since college six, seven years ago. But this morning, I was cramming. And when you messaged me, he goes, do you want to hop on a half 12 instead of one? I was like, no, I do not. I still have to cram. But it was a thing of going through the 51 episodes. I was thinking, I have to be selective here with my time. What subjects do I concentrate on? And I've got two pages here of notes that I hope that you're going to go by and ask me a question. Because if you don't, <laughs> yeah. I'm screwed. And I feel like at the end, I'm going to be so upset if you don't hit some of them that I might just dump a load of information that I learned anyway, just to try and impress you if I fail on the questions you're going to ask me. Well, look, Graham, I appreciate that you have been studying, but at the same time, you shouldn't have to study because we've been doing a podcast for a year now. You should be as knowledgeable around diabetes as I am. So I expect good answers here. So listen, what is the layout of this episode? What are we going to do? Because you're in complete control of me usually i have an idea what's going on as the producer kind of going oh should we do this i was like no okay owen you take this what are we doing yeah well look don't don't, don't be stressing out it's i am stressing like out <laughs> difficult if i have diabetes well, I my my uh, blood sugar's going through the roof with that's all the stress true. that's true look, oh there you go look <laughs> learning something um so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna ask you questions obviously that are relevant to diabetes and certain topics that we've covered throughout the year of podcasting okay i'll ask you a question you will give your answer hoping well i'm hoping that you'll be able to answer it properly because you should have learned (laughs) what we've been talking about for the past year if you are not as correct as i would like i will correct you i'll talk about it more detail and it's a good way for us to kind of recap for anybody listening what we've covered I suppose the standout important parts of managing your diabetes. Okay. Do you hear this? Listen to this. That's my notes closed. Oh. The little, okay, here the we little go. stretchy thing to keep it closed has gone on it and I'm throwing it over there. It's going to be like a podcast version of Reeling in the Ears. Reeling in the podcasts. Yeah. So for anybody listening who doesn't know what reeling in the years is. I realize that's a very Irish thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's basically a TV show that does a full recap of a specific year over 
what happened, what are the standout events or occasions throughout that year. That's what this podcast is. Outlining the important parts of managing your diabetes and what you should have learned by now. If you haven't, the episodes are there, so you can go back and listen. Graham, you ready? Oh, Owen, please just give me a softball one to begin with. Let's, okay, look, here's an easy let's, one. Let's give me an easy one. Let's go. On the score as well. Okay, Graham. Yeah. As the diabetic community's adopted son. Yeah. What's been the number one thing you've taken from the podcast so far? So that oh. can be that can be your your own opinion. Okay, so this there's no actual correct answer. Well, depending on what you say. So repeat it again. Just let me take it in because I wasn't expecting a a subjective question to kick it off. Well, there you go. As the diabetic community's adopted son, yeah. what's been the number one thing you have taken from the podcast so far? The number one thing I've taken from the podcast so far has been the importance of the diabetic community, community online. It, from listening especially to the guests that we've had on the podcast, it seems like a lot of them, and maybe people listening as well, felt a little bit lost and isolated and as if maybe they were the only person with the condition. But when they actually went online and found people who were also diabetic, they felt that they weren't alone. They could share the problem and a problem shared is a problem halved in life in general, but especially when it comes to type one diabetes, because not everybody can really understand it. So when you find this community online, your kind of problems don't seem as severe. You don't feel alone anymore. And of course, you can be helped by fellow diabetics and then in turn, then you can help other diabetics. So I think the diabetic community, in my opinion, is the most important thing about diabetes that I've learned over the last year. Correct. Yay! <laughs> that was a good answer. Well done. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That's, for me, one of the standout points is that if you are diabetic for 20 years, 10 years, diagnosed last week, Get involved with the community. It's uh, massively beneficial to your management overall. So, well done, Graham. Good start. This is an easy one. one. Is type 1 diabetes caused by eating too much sugar? Absolutely not. Type 1 diabetes is... What do you call it? Give me a second. Now, I know type 1 diabetes is completely random. It can happen to anybody and it's not genetic or anything like that. That is... I know that be genetic. They don't know... Yeah, that's what I meant. It could be genetic because your grandmother was diabetic mm. and you were gifted scales. Great grandmother. Your great grandmother, and you were gifted scales by your auntie at Christmas, where she used to weigh out her food. Correct? Correct. Correct. <laughs> but you say yeah, so, it is an autoimmune disease. There yes. you go. Exactly. Type 1 diabetes is not caused by eating too much sugar. That's probably the number one question a type 1 diabetic is asked is. Did you get it because you ate too much sugar or you shouldn't have eaten too much sugar? Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. You either get it or you don't. You can't prevent it. You do not bring it on yourself. It's just bad luck. Leading on from that, ideally, what numbers do you want to keep your blood sugar between? Hmm. Well, I know that all type 1 diabetes is the same, but no type 1 diabetic is the same. (laughs) I know that. <laughs> I would like to keep mine between four and eight. Spot on. Am I? Yes. So 
between four and eight millimoles per liter. That's how we measure it in, let's say, Ireland or Europe. In the States, they measure between milligrams per deciliter. So it could be between 72 to 140. So ideally, you want to keep it within that range. That's when you know your blood sugars are, in a sense, at an optimal or optimum level. But I suppose a good point to touch on that is even though that's kind of like the ideal physical range you want to be, I always try and emphasize to people not to get too emotionally attached to your blood sugars. And what I mean by that is don't react emotionally to what you see on your blood sugar meter or your CGM because there isn't a type 1 diabetic that doesn't see highs and lows. That's just a fact. If anybody says they don't, then they're lying. Okay, so the important thing to realize is that because highs and lows inevitably are going to happen throughout your life with type 1 diabetes, you should not let it ruin that hour of the day, ruin that day, ruin that week, ruin that month. Don't think my blood sugar is high. I'm an awful diabetic. My blood sugar is low. I'm an awful diabetic. I can't do this. I can't live with this. You can. Highs and lows are inevitable. You just have to roll with it. And I think a good example of how that can be effective or impactful kind of to your day is if you wake up in the morning, I think I saw a statistic there the other day where it's like 85% of diabetics, the first thought they have, myself included, the first thought we have when we wake up is, what's my blood sugar at? And the very, very, very first thing I do when my eyes open in the morning is grab my phone to check my CGM to see if I'm within range. If I see my blood sugar is low or if I see my blood sugar is high and I react to that first thing in the morning emotionally, that can set me up badly for, for a good day. Do you get me, Graham? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's, yes, of course, ideally you want to be w- within range, but if you see a high, if you see a low, don't think, oh, Jesus, I'm doing an awful job because it happens to everybody. Graham, what is hypoglycemia? Hypoglycemia is when your blood sugars go dangerously low. Correct. Yes. What should you do to treat it, depending on how low you are? You should take something that is rich in glucose, like a glucose tablet or an energy drink. Correct. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, so, seriously take, I'm taking this so seriously. Yeah, good, I'm glad. <laughs> it is very serious. <laughs> so the other side of that is hyperglycemia. And I know I've touched on it briefly before. I think that hypo and hyper should be called different things because they can be very closely related. To, well, they are closely related, but they sound so similar. The best way to remember them and how I remembered how to differentiate between the two was hyper was high blood sugar. So I was like, if I have loads of sugar, I'm going to be hyper. So that's how I remembered. What's hypo anxiety? It's the fear of going low. And why can that be so prevalent in a diabetic's mind? Because if you go low, you can pass out. And, um, well, it's bad. Like you don't want it to happen. 
It's a bad thing. Bad <laughs> it thing. It is a bad thing. It's a bad, bad thing. And yeah. if you go low, it blood, you can pass out. I've already said that. I'm just repeating myself now. <laughs> I feel like you're looking for another answer. I'm not. <laughs> Hypo-anxiety can be a big problem for somebody because the fear of going low anytime, anywhere can be very intimidating. And it's like because a hypo is the worst thing that you can experience as a diabetic, it's the last thing you want to happen. So it's like if I go to a job interview, if I'm on an important phone call, if I'm making a speech, if I'm on a first date, whatever it is, you're thinking my blood sugar potentially could go low, which can bring its own issues. And I think Danny's episode, remember, I think episode 15 was hypo anxiety with Danny Gallagher. Then we did it. He admittedly was somebody who kind of suffered from that, where he had a very bad hypo incident in work. I think he got up from his chair, fell over, cracked his back or something off the corner of a table and injured himself quite badly. So since then, he has like had even more of a fear of of going low. On average, how many additional daily decisions do type 1 diabetics need to make? A lot. I'll start with a lot. Uh, Is there a number one you're looking for? Yes. (laughs) Oh, it's a number we're looking for. How many? Um, (laughs) I remember this now. Like somewhere between 100 and... Then maybe five thousand somewhere in between there. Would I be right? You uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna I'm gonna hazard a guess at seven hundred and fifty-two. <laughs> no. Oh between one hundred and eighty to three hundred and twenty. Okay. Obviously that can depend on person to person. I was a little bit off. <laughs> but I was thinking for two d- two days. I was multiplying it by two. Oh, Sorry, I was thinking over a forty eight hour period. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So on average an additional 180 to 320 decisions per day per diabetic. And I think we outlined that pretty, was it? I think we outlined that in episode three, which is like a day in the life of a type one diabetic, where I essentially just take you through a pretty standard day. And it still emphasizes how disruptive living with type one can be. It's like blood sugar, carb counting, insulin calculating my insulin all these hundreds of decisions but again graham wrong (laughs) no no not again (laughs) that is the first one i got wrong i'm keeping score i'm four from five here i'm very Mm. proud i will i will defend my scoring okay graham why is consistent exercise so important for a type 1 diabetic because it will increase your insulin sensitivity and you said it is, especially resistance training, it is the main thing that can help you control your blood sugars. I can continue talking about resistance training unless there's a resistance training question coming up and you don't need to keep going. There is indeed. Okay. <laughs> so it is the most important thing, especially resistance training, for managing your blood sugar levels. Absolutely. So the big things, and I cannot emphasize enough, if you are a type 1 diabetic or... If you are anybody, you should be consistently exercising, but particularly with type 1 diabetes, because like you said, Graham, it increases your insulin sensitivity. As a result, 
you require less insulin. Your body uses that insulin more efficiently and in turn, hopefully, potentially results in you having easier blood sugars to manage. Also, parts of exercise that people sometimes kind of dismiss are the fact that if you are consistently exercising, it's going to massively boost your mood. And if your mood is better throughout the day and throughout the week, things seem easier to manage, i.e. diabetes. So if you're exercising frequently through the week and you feel good, you're releasing these natural endorphins, the highs and lows that come with diabetes sometimes don't feel as frustrating or as daunting. There's also a massive sense of achievement when you go for a run, do a good workout, which in turn boost your mood and also if you are consistently exercising you're a lot less likely to reach for foods that may have a negative impact on your blood sugar because if you go out for a run if you have a successful workout let's call it you will likely not want to reach for foods that could have a big impact on your blood sugar you're probably going to reach for healthier options And then in turn, that snowball of healthy decisions and habits leads to better blood sugar management. So you're close enough, Graham. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm giving myself the point for that one. Okay, I'll allow it. In the eyes of a type 1 diabetic, should all types of exercise be treated the same way? Absolutely not. So if we're speaking specifically about cardio. Yes, and resistance training or weight training. What are the differences between the two? What can you expect differently from your blood sugar? When you are doing resistance training, you're putting your body under stress. So that means your liver is going to release adrenaline and cortisol, which will dump glucose into your bloodstream, which means your blood sugars will rise. When you are doing cardio, it will have the opposite effect where your body will be using up the glucose in your bloodstream for energy and meaning they will drop. Did you read that? No. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Spot on, spot on. I was was hoping the difference between cardio and resistance (laughs) was going up because that was my A-star answer. I was like, come on. And and also, because the more resistance training you do, the bigger your muscles become and they become a sponge for glucose. There you go. Spot on. You are listening. Come on. And now just to... Note something there. Of course, like you said earlier, Graham, all type 1 diabetes is the same. No type 1 diabetic is the same. So because we're pretty much speaking about me here, I will likely see my blood sugar drop as a result of extended cardio. Like you said, with resistance training or weight training, I will likely see my bloods spike. That can depend. That can differ from person to person. But that's commonly what you will see. Well done, Graham. I'm impressed you were listening. What are a few positives that someone could take from a life with type 1 diabetes? There's my voice crack again. I was wondering when it would come in. (laughs) Does diabetes give your voice a crack? Yes. (laughs) Okay, positives. Let's think about it. Um, So it gives you structure. In terms of you have to be a bit more regimented in your life to look after your blood sugars, which then could uh, go into your personal life, uh, increasing uh, productivity, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you learn more about food and nutrition because you basically have to carb count and know exactly what you're eating and how it affects your blood sugars. And uh, the positives in, in terms of you or in general? Both. Well, I would... Whatever makes it easier for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, like, the, going back to my very first point about the diabetic community, the fact that you've all kind of met each other and you would never have known each other other than having diabetes. And, oh, yeah, got one. If you don't want to go to a party and <laughs> you have no excuse to get out of it, you can use that as an excuse and saying you're not feeling great because your diabetes is... Uh, on the blink and your blood sugar is going really low and you don't want to pass out in their house. So you, you best stay at home. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good, I had actually forgot about that one. Your lifetime get out of jail free card, which is very, very important sometimes. Yeah. So look, the, 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 uh, the main ones that would jump out at me that can be positives that people can take from a life with type one diabetes. I know I have, again, somebody might see something different from their life with type one. But there are always positives when you scratch a little deeper from the surface. So for me, routine, structure, discipline, a new appreciation for my own health and the health of my friends and family. Because when you're diagnosed with type 1 and you suddenly, again, like the flick of a switch, have to now essentially keep yourself alive each day, you realize how fragile fragile your life and your health can be so you appreciate that more more of an incentive for you to stay active each day because it's so important like you said graham become part of the diabetic community which in turn will inevitably inevitably lead to you making more friends which is essential and like you said more reason to understand nutrition and learn the benefits of certain foods so good answer do I get a point for that one, yeah? Half a point. Ah. Why is stress management important for type 1 diabetics? Because when you're stressed, similar to doing resistance training, you it's the fight or flight method where your liver releases adrenaline and cortisol, which then dumps glucose into your bloodstream which in turn raises your blood sugar levels. So you have to keep, you have to manage your stress. Otherwise, your blood sugar levels will go through the roof. Good answer. Yes. Good answer. You always have this slight pause as if you're about to give out to me like a teacher (laughs) who's just got the maths equation wrong. I'm like, ah, just give me the answer. (laughs) Absolutely. So stress management is certainly, in my opinion, a very, very, very important tool to your overall diabetes management because if we are stressed, it's going to increase insulin resistance. Like you said, Graham, as a result, when we are stressed, it's similar to that fight or flight response of I feel uneasy, I feel something isn't right, therefore it's your body's kind of natural way to protect you from whatever situation that might be. So, for example, I remember we were chatting to... Basma Adams in one of the previous episodes and she had done a lot of kind of public speaking and she said that 
before she was kind of going out on stage to talk to people or whatever it was or, or giving a presentation, her blood sugar would skyrocket. So that's because her body is under stress. And like you said, it's that natural release of glucose into your bloodstream in an attempt to fill your limbs with blood more efficiently so that you can potentially run away. But that can be effective if if it's thousands of years ago and you're running away from a bear. But if you have to give a presentation and your body is still giving you that same response, it's not very effective because you're not just going to run out of a presentation or whatever, whatever it is. And to touch on that as well, if I'm working with somebody and I get their weekly blood checks or their blood reports, if I see a pattern of an overall increase over a couple of days or even a certain period of time throughout the day, one of the first questions I'll ask is, were you stressed this week? And a good example of that is one of the clients that I'm working with, he recently started, or he, I think he got a promotion in work. So he was doing more presentations. He was in more important meetings and it was unreal. We were looking at his De- Dexcom report and you could see at like 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. his bloods would just consistently be high. And I was like, what's this, what's the story here around uh, around 2 to 4 p.m.? He goes, that's when I'm doing presentations. That's when I'm on phone calls. That's when I'm doing meetings. And he said his blood sugar just skyrockets. That's mental. Because you, yeah. You've enough to be worrying about having to do a new job, new role, presentations, and then, oh, I have to look after my blood sugars as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, come on, give, give me a break. Yeah, please. But yeah, good answer, Graham. Well done. Thank you. As daunting and as complicated as type 1 diabetes can be, what are a few things we can do each day to help simplify our management? Now, something came to my mind, and I don't know if it's the correct answer. Go on. Is it awareness, anticipation, and action? Oh, I'll allow it. Not what I was thinking, but yeah, I'll allow it. Three A's? Absolutely. Explain them. So, awareness is you're aware of the... um, let Let me say now. Awareness, anticipation, and action. Anticipation we'll start with. So say, for instance, we're like that guy, your client, who has a very important meeting that's going to happen that he knows is going to cause him stress. So he has to anticipate where his blood sugars are going to go based on what he has learned in the past. Not just act in the moment, but anticipate what's going to happen. That also includes an awareness that he's taken from past experiences of what has happened. And then action is that you don't just wait for it to happen. You act on it. Is that correct? It was. It wasn't what I was expecting, Graham, but good answer. So like we had touched on a previous episode, my three A's to diabetes management are awareness, anticipation, action. So awareness is living consciously, being aware of what you're doing, the food you're eating, the insulin you're taking, how exercise affects your blood sugar. After awareness... It's anticipation. You can anticipate what to expect based off your previous experience with your blood sugars, exercise, food, and then action. An action where things change. We can so often 
be in such a routine with our diabetes management where even though we can see that things aren't as steady as they should be or as steady as we would like, we're sometimes very reluctant to make a change because we're so used to living a certain routine or taking a certain amount of insulin. Action throws that out the window. Action after awareness and anticipation is where you have the confidence to make a change to your insulin dose, make a change to your routine, go out and do a run, go out, do an exercise, whatever you need to do. Action is shifting your management in some way to benefit your blood sugar. Good answer. (laughs) What were you looking for? So what I had were just simple daily, I suppose, tactics you can use. Okay. That would, that look, everybody can do these. I always say to people that diabetes is so complicated and it can, everything can just be so tangled. But it's when you take a step back, look at it from a bird's eye view, understand why am I seeing these highs? Why am I seeing these lows? And then focusing on the small things you can do each day, which are consistently accurately carb count, understand your insulin timing for meals, understand how meal timing can influence your blood sugar, drink two to three liters of water a day, exercise at least 30 minutes a day, and consciously try and manage stress. So they are things that we can all do. And they are things that I guarantee you will make your diabetes easier to manage. It's a fact. Aye? Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. So uh, <laughs> thankfully the old three A's popped into the brain <laughs> yeah, exactly. at the right time. Right. On to the next one. If I'm a type 1 diabetic and I'm on a night out or out for a few drinks, what are a few things I should consider? Have you considered the three A's of management? (laughs) Yeah, just every every answer. What should you consider when you are on a night out? And is this, sorry, drinking and eating or just drinking? Just drinking. You should consider what you are going to drink alcohol-based because different alcohol drinks have different effects on your blood sugar. I know you love drinking uh, mezcal tequila because it has the least effect on your blood sugar. Um, I'm impressed. You should, um, we should be prepared. You should have your insulin with you just in case. Mm-hmm. And of course, <laughs> you should be, <laughs> you should have your CGM, you should have your phone fully charged so you can watch your, uh, your, you're clutching at straws here now. Your, uh, uh, you got to be prepared in case you get a takeaway on the way home and <laughs> you're not going to be affected by the pizza effect where your blood sugars will rise uh, long after you expect them. So uh, that's what we got to be aware of. You're going off on a tangent here now, Brent. <laughs> no, I'm clutching at straws. <laughs> right. What? So the type of alcohol, that's yeah. all I really have. Okay, so, well, you're right. A few things you could you should consider before and during a night out, let's call it, when you're drinking. What you're drinking, because if you are drinking a cocktail you're going to see a much bigger impact on your blood sugar compared to if you're drinking a vodka soda because a vodka soda doesn't really have much in it that will have a huge impact on your blood sugar. Whereas a drink like a cocktail could be, I don't know, filled with sugar and it could skyrocket your bloods. So what you're drinking, how much you're going to drink because depending on the amount of alcohol that we have 
initially, let's say you're drinking two, three, four drinks, it's likely that you'll see your blood sugar spike. But if you were to go on a full night out and you were drinking like 10 or 15 drinks, that increased alcohol in your system will likely cause your blood sugar to drop throughout the night. So remember when I was talking about it in our alcohol episode, Graham, where the first few, not a few years, but a good few times when I had been out on a night out, I knew that when I was going to bed as a result of the alcohol, my bloods would have dropped. So what I used to do, I'm not advising this to anybody, but I'm just saying from my own experience, this is what I would do. I would get food on the way home, not take any insulin, go to bed, and I'd still wake up stable because the food without any insulin would obviously bring my bloods high, but that's being counteracted by the fact that the alcohols bring my blood sugar down. Make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think if you are intrigued by that, go back and listen to the episode we did on alcohol. Uh, yeah. Try and find the episode. And another thing, if you are out on a night out or out for dinner or drinks or whatever it is with people, let the people know that you're diabetic. Because particularly if you're having a few drinks, you don't know what could happen. Your bloods might drop, your bloods might spike. It's important that people you're with know that you're a type 1 diabetic. So if something did happen, somebody knows to say, he's a type 1 diabetic, help him. <laughs> and also don't neglect your diabetes management when you're out because we're sometimes quite inclined to avoid the fact that we're diabetic when we're out on a night out, when we're with friends, whatever it is, because we're not giving it the same amount of thought. So just don't avoid it. It's likely you won't check your blood sugar as much but it's important that you still do. Episode 17 is alcohol and diabetes. If you want to check that out, we go into way more detail on mm. alcohol and diabetes in that one. What's one piece of advice you would offer to a newly diagnosed type 1 diabetic? I said, where do I start? Um, I have so much information in my head right now. I don't know <laughs> which one I want to give to you. Uh, you're very lucky. You've got Graham O'Toole, the co-presenter of the Insulone podcast here. Um, I would say, see, I always harp on about the diabetic community. I would say get involved with the diabetic community because you can definitely um, learn so much and you don't feel alone. But let's not, that's a cop out, I feel, because I've already kind of answered that. Mm. So I would say the one bit of advice I would give is do not let diabetes get in the way of you doing what you want to do. Don't let it rule your life. Travel, play sport, go out with friends, date, do what you would have done if you weren't diabetic. 100%. Good answer. And I would say don't, don't make it your excuse not to do something. Make it your reason to do something. Do you get me? I like that. Mm. I like look, that a lot. Like, again, you touched on earlier, Graham. I think you must have been quoting me. But you said... <laughs> <laughs> all type 1 diabetes is the same, but no type 1 diabetic is the same. So your diabetes is unique to you and how you manage your diabetes is unique to you. So you need to make sure that your routine fits into your diabetes and your diabetes fits into your routine. And if you look at it this way, the more that you know about type 1 diabetes, the easier it's going to be to manage. Because if you understand why certain things are happening, if you understand insulin activity, if you understand how 
certain exercise can affect your blood sugar. It gives you an advantage to make sure that you can keep bloods as stable as possible. And the reality of it is you're only going to see your diabetic nurse or doctor or diabetic team a few hours a year. That's the reality of it. Those other thousands of hours throughout the year, it's just to an extent, it's just you and your diabetes. So the more you know, the more you educate and the more you learn, the easier it's going to be for you to manage it. So my number one piece of advice to anybody, even if you've had diabetes for 20 years, you don't even have to be a newly diagnosed. It's learn as much as you can. Listen to podcasts, read books, watch videos, read articles, because it does make a big difference. Here we go, Graham. How many more do you have? One more. (gasps) This one's going to sound familiar. If you had, it's not really relevant to you, but I'll ask anyway. (laughs) If you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would it be? Oh, me personally. Yeah. Diabetes has given me a real appreciation for my own health. And I know you said in the positives you took for your diabetes is that you have more appreciation for your health. But I really have appreciation for my health and uh, an appreciation for the amount of work that ye have to do, diabetics that is, in managing your blood sugars and the patience you have to have and the stamina and the regime, the strict regime and the fact that you you can, you are encouraged to eat what you want, but you can't always, to be fair, because you have to have some sort of management on your diabetes. So I think it's given me a real appreciation for my own health and appreciation for diabetics around the world that have to constantly live with this condition 24 seven. It's not just like having a cold. It's with you now and forever. That was a very nice answer, Graham. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Well, look, I appreciate you, Graham, and I appreciate you doing the podcast for a year. So not at all. I've learned. I'll so much. say you passed the quiz. So oh, get out of here! I did not pass the quiz. I bloody got. I say I got a B in the quiz. <laughs> you didn't. I passed. C two. I passed. You're saying I got a D. You're saying I got forty yeah. percent. Get out of here. I was keeping score. I actually stopped keeping score because I was doing so well. I go, I won't even have to reference the score at the end because my score has been so good. Actually, here we go. What I would like to know is for the diabetics listening right now, I would like you to mark me out of 10. How did I do on the insulin podcast at gmail.com or give me a percentage? (laughs) Give me a grading. I I want something. I'm I'm not accepting this pass. Not at all. Not with my two pages of revision I did before (laughs) and pushing the podcast back by an extra 15 minutes to try and get myself some more study time. The Insulone Podcast at gmail.com for my grade, please. And also any questions or stories you may have for Owen. If you didn't get to listen to last week's episode, please do. We really enjoyed making it. We were reading out Mm. stories from listeners and diabetics obviously around the world really interesting and off the back of that as well we got more coming in as well to our email the insulone podcast at gmail.com so we're hoping as we said last week we'll definitely make that a thing i don't know if we'll make uh, quiz and graham a thing 
Uh, I think once a year that max just a is enough. Year specialty. Maybe that's enough. I don't know if we'll do it on the second year anniversary. Maybe we'll just accept that I'm uh, the adopted son here in the diabetic community. Well, maybe this is a good time to break the news, Graham. That I'm diabetic. That <laughs> this is, and it comes with great sadness to announce that this is going to be the last episode of the Insulon podcast. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's it now. We can do no more. We've reached the pinnacle. and <laughs> We can do no more. I'm only joking. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> right, Graham. I'm impressed that you have learned so much. And I hope our listeners have learned a lot over the past year. Honestly, I'm really, really excited for the next year. Because this time last year, the thought of 52 episodes was very, very exciting. Um, we're finally here. And it feels good. It feels good to have been podcasting for a year and to get some of the feedback from so many diabetics around the world it's very very refreshing and reassuring and satisfying to know that people are benefiting from the podcast so thank you everybody for listening and i look forward to year two